the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Let Us Reason, a Christian-Muslim dialogue with host Al Fadi. Let Us Reason is a unique show utilizing theology, apologetics, and evangelism to reach Muslims for Christ by comparing and contrasting Christian and Muslim doctrines. And now, your host, Al Fadi. Well, good morning, everyone. Hope uh, you're having a wonderful day. Um, uh, you're listening to Let Us Reason. I'm your host, Al Fadi, and with me here, my dear brother, Sam Shamon. And uh, Sam has been gracious enough to be with us uh, last week and agreed to continue with us this week and, Lord willing, next week as well. And, of course, if you go to our archive, you'll see that Sam has been with us in the past. And just a brief thing about Sam, Sam Shamon, if you can just uh, Google his name, uh, S-H-A-M-O-U-N, Sam Shamon, uh, you will find uh, the brother basically all over the web, whether it's uh, through YouTube. Uh, he's done many uh, wonderful debates. Uh, he has a, a number of shows that he's done with our uh, dear brother uh, David Wood called uh, Jesus or Muhammad, and many other clips, of course, related to many issues re- uh, that has to do with Islamic apologetics. And he's a, a, a primary writer, uh, in the website, the fabulous answering-islam.org, among many other sites. And I'll uh, let him, of course, share that with you at the beginning and also towards the end. My prayer is that uh, you will be blessed by his uh, knowledge and wisdom and that uh, you will also consider uh, supporting him and praying for him as well. Uh, brother, thank you so much for joining us as always. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, it's an honor to be on your show again to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. So thank you. Amen. And uh, just for all those who are uh, uh, tuning in today, uh, last week, you can always go to the archive and listen. We talked about, is the Quran that Muslims consider to be the Word of God, is the Quran created, or is it separate uh, and separate from God, or is it integral to God? And also, at the same time, Sam mentioned something very interesting. He says, uh, let's look, for instance, at the very chapter, the very first chapter of the Quran, chapter 1, to show that it seems that the God of Islam really is dependent on people, because in there, if God is the one who's talking, it's uh, basically a prayer that he would guide people into the straight path. So the fundamental theological, uh, theological question, is the God of Islam dependent on people or not? And Sam, I want to add one more verse, maybe you can comment on. You know, as many Muslims, of course, know that the God of Islam brags that he prays for Muhammad, and that's found in chapter 33 of the Quran, verse 56, as an example. Along the line of this theological dilemma that you raised, is the God of Islam also, if the Quran is eternal, is he dependent on Muhammad as well? Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of issues to cover, and time is fleeting, so I, I just invoke the God and Father, Lord Jesus Christ, sanctify you and me by his Spirit washing us in the blood of Jesus and anointing us to speak truth without error and protect us from misrepresenting Islam <clears throat> for the glory of Jesus Christ. So <clears throat> I don't like when 
Muslims or other groups misrepresent my faith, so I'm going to do my best not to misrepresent Islam, because we serve the God of truth, and our God is not honored when we misrepresent or lie or deceive. So we trust in the Spirit to do that which pleases the Lord Jesus. Now, with that said, Islamic theology, because remember, majority of Muslims identify with the Sunni branch of Islam, the Sunni sect of Islam. Estimates are anywhere from, what, 85% to 90% of professing Muslims are Sunni, right? Correct. And the second largest sect would be the Shiite sect. Now, again, since the Shiite sect of Islam hasn't translated its major works into English, you'd have to know Arabic to be able to familiarize yourself with their sources. But the Shiite Islam does not affirm that the Quran is uncreated. I can be, I can stand corrected, and I hope I'm not misrepresenting their position. But the Sunni branch of Islam do affirm that the Quran is the uncreated, eternal speech of Allah, and as a speech, it's an essential attribute of Allah. So that it's not simply <clears throat> the byproduct of Allah-inspired Muhammad to record what Allah wanted Muhammad to record, incorporating Muhammad's personality. We need to affirm that. Because our view of the Bible is not the Islamic view of the Quran. There are times in which you have the Lord Jesus Christ, <clears throat> you have the Triune God, speaking directly, right, or writing down. For example, if you read Exodus 31.18 and Deuteronomy 9.10, it says that the Lord God, Yahweh, if you want to say Jehovah, that's fine, wrote down with his finger <clears throat> all the commandments on the tablets that he gave to Moses. Amen. So here God is writing it down with his own finger. Now, finger, obviously, here, it's an anthropomorphism. God, being a spiritual being, doesn't have physical body parts. But this is to convey the idea that God wrote it directly. Book of Revelation, you have the Lord Jesus Christ appearing to John, as John, in the Spirit, is giving revelation. The Lord's telling John, write what you see. So here you have... Not so much divine dictation, but a direct order saying, write down what I'm about to show you. So John is going to write down what Jesus shows him, but he's going to write it down in his own words, inspired by the Spirit. Now, the reason why I'm mentioning this, uh, brother, it's important for even Christians to know what we believe the Bible. The Bible is fully divine and fully human, similar to the Lord Jesus Christ, in that God raised up specific human authors who are endowed with their gifts from the Holy Spirit and he fully incorporated their unique personality to convey God's Word in human language. So because God fully incorporates the human authors, their personalities, their educational background, as taught to them by the Spirit, as endowed by the Spirit, we do not believe the Bible is created. It's a byproduct. It's part of creation. It's God's Word communicated through human language. And since human language is created... That language is not eternal and a part of God. That's not our view of the Holy Bible. The Quran, on the other hand, is supposed to be uncreated, eternal, and does not incorporate Muhammad's personality whatsoever. Muhammad simply recited what Allah dictated to him through various means, chiefly through the angel Gabriel, or so the Quran claims. In chapter 2, verse 97 of the Quran, Gabriel is said to have brought down the Quran to Muhammad's heart. Gabriel is not the only medium, because elsewhere the Quran says the Holy Spirit did it. And the thing is, maybe we'll do the next show on this one, who is the Spirit in the Quran? The thing is, although Islamic theology teaches 
that the Holy Spirit is simply another name, a title for Gabriel. Nowhere does the Quran identify the Holy Spirit as Gabriel. In fact, the Quran identifies the Holy Spirit as not part of creation, but an eternal aspect of Allah, an eternal aspect of God. We'll talk about that next show. But again, the Quran is not the byproduct of Muhammad. It does not incorporate his personality. It's purely the words of Allah. Because it's the words of Allah, it's uncreated. So I just want to make that clear. If you want to add something, feel free, brother. Oh, no problem. No, these are excellent points. Thank you for mentioning that. But, and I agree with you, brother. Sometimes uh, our uh, brothers in, in Christ, uh, uh, brothers and sisters, I should say, uh, they're, you know, uh, we need some adjustments in our understanding of the Bible. Yes, exactly. We don't believe the Bible is uncreated. It's a byproduct of the Holy Spirit using human language to communicate God's perfect words in human thought, human expression. And since human thought and expression are eternal, you cannot say the Bible is eternal. So that we need to make clear. We're not saying it's not God's Word. It's completely, 100%, the inspired revelation of God. But when we say it's God's words, we mean it's God's words being communicated through human language. So we need to make that distinction. So the Quran and Islamic theology is similar to our view of Jesus. If you want an apt analogy, as I said last week, you don't compare the Bible to the Quran. You compare our belief about Jesus with the Quran, because there is where the comparison lays. To us, Jesus is the eternal, uncreated Word of God, who became flesh. Islam teaches the Quran is the eternal Word that became a book. So that's the comparison. The Lord Jesus, in contrast to the Quran. So now, with that said, let's get into some of the problems that we raised last week to show that this view of the Quran is irrational, it's incoherent, it's unintelligible. And here's why. If you say the Quran is uncreated because it's the speech of Allah, then that means all the events recording the Quran, all the conversations, all the episodes, all the interactions, all the war, wars, <clears throat> being part of Allah's eternal uncreated speech, either were predestined to happen so that the actors involved, the individuals involved in those events, had no choice but to do what the Quran said they're going to do, or Allah's speech is dependent on creatures that ha- haven't been created that do not exist. So either or Muslims have a dilemma. Let's take the second one. If we say that the Quran is simply recording what creatures will do, because Allah in his foreknowledge knows what will happen before creation. In other words, he knows the end from the beginning. He can foresee what creatures will do when they come into existence. That makes Allah's speech, and therefore Allah, dependent on creation, because the speech of Allah is being shaped and fashioned around what creatures will do. If that's the case, then Allah is not independent from creatures. He needs them in order for his speech to be what it is. So you nullify Allah's self-sufficiency. Right. You nullify Allah being free of all needs, because he needs his creatures to, to shape and fashion his speech and make the Quran a living reality. So you see that problem? Right. Now, let's go to the first one. Let's assume that, no, the Quran isn't dependent on what these actors will do. Now, when I say actors, again, I'm, I'm not saying like a movie theater, but the individuals that are the Quran mentioned, like Moses, Pharaoh, the interaction, Abraham and Nimrod and all that. If a Muslim says, no, the Quran is not simply telling, telling what's going to happen, but the Quran, being the speech of Allah, is actually predetermining these events. In other words, because it's God's speech, and God's speech is free of, of creation, doesn't need creation to be what it is, 
then that means these events are predestined. So the people involved in those events had no choice but to do exactly what the script said they would do. Right. So in other words, Abu Lahab, Muhammad's uncle, who's cursed in the Quran, chapter 111 of the Quran, him and his wife were damned to hell, a chapter that's supposedly eternal, uncreated. So in eternity, before creation, Allah had already predetermined that Muhammad's uncle and Muhammad's wife, his uncle's wife, right? Muhammad, uh, not Muhammad's wife, I'm sorry, Muhammad's uncle's wife, Abu Lahab's wife, would be created specifically to go to hell, because chapter 111 says that they're going to go to hell, and they had no faith on the matter, so they had no free will, they had no choice but to become unbelievers and be damned to hell. See the problem? That is correct, and also, if I may add, even if you take uh, chapter 1, as if it sounds like God has given you a choice here to ask Him for guidance, but it sounds like He's already made up His mind about whether you're going to be guided or not. No, exactly. If it's it's the speech of Allah, and it's uncreated, and the speech of Allah doesn't need creation, and it's free of creation, that means all the prayers, all the events are predestined. So chapter 1, verses 1 to 7, is a prayer that, again, if the Muslims are correct, this prayer is a prayer that Muslims will pray and ask to be guided. But in reality, everything's predestined, so even you're praying for guidance has to be predestined. In other words, Allah has to predestine that you'll pray for guidance, and then predestine that He'll respond to your prayer, and then put you on a straight path. It's right. all predestined. Exactly. So it's hyper-fatalistic, right? I mean, I know Muslims can say, well, don't you have something similar to Christianity with Calvinism? Yes and no. Not identical, but Lord willing, we can discuss that in a future topic. I don't want Muslims to commit the fallacy of Tukoki. Tukoki means, well, you too. you got the same problem. Well, yes and no, because Calvinism does not teach what Islam fatalism teaches. They're worlds apart. There, there may be similarities, but there are profound differences. But that, again, has to wait a future discussion. We want to focus on the Quran. Let me give you an example of something in the Quran that has to be predetermined with the individuals involved having no say-so in the matter. I'll give you an example. You and I fully know the story of Zayd, Zayd ibn Haditha, who was Zayd ibn Muhammad, Muhammad's adopted son. Correct. Right, in chapter 33, verse 37, I'm going to read it, but let me just give a little background so the people who are not familiar with Islamic history. According to Islamic tradition, Muhammad's first wife, Lord's first wife, Khadija bin Walid, had a slave named Zayd ibn Haditha. <clears throat> and when Muhammad married Khadija, pretty much they became Muhammad's servant, his slave. So much for the claim that Islam does not condone slavery. Right? Yes, it does. Right? There are certain verses that talk about setting slavery, but it doesn't make it mandatory. And the hadiths are quite clear. Bukhari and Muslim are quite clear. Muhammad not only owned slaves, it even says he owned black slaves, and would sell black slaves and buy black slaves. And there were black slaves being paraded in his mosque to be sold off. This is all in the authentic narration. So maybe, Lord willing, in a future session, we can discuss whether Islam is the religion of a black man and whether Muhammad is a black man. But with that said, Zayed became Muhammad's servant. Zayed's father and paternal uncle, his father's brother, found out about him being a slave in Mecca because he had been kidnapped, according to the story. And they finally found out his whereabouts. So they came to emancipate him, to ransom him. So when they went to Mecca, they told Mom, look, we're here to take our son back. You know, and we're willing to pay anything. Well, Mom said, well, you don't need to pay anything. It's up to Zayed. If he wants to go, he's free. 
So the tradition says that they came and said, no, I'm not going to leave. I'm going to stay as a slave of this man because I've seen nothing good, good in, nothing but good in him. So they were shocked. Muhammad was shocked. So Muhammad said because of that, the tradition says that Muhammad then took Zayd in front of the Kaaba in Mecca. This is before he, he became a so-called prophet. And he announced to the people, I now set Zayd free. He's no longer my slave, he's my son. So from that moment on, Zayd was called the son, uh, son of Muhammad. Well, lo and behold, in chapter 33, verse 37, here's the verse, remember, it's part of the eternal speech of Allah. Here's the verse that says to Muhammad that he should, have, should be ashamed of himself, basically. Again, it doesn't say those exact words, but this is the gist. For hiding in his heart what Allah was about to make known. So let me read the verse. And remember when you said to him, <clears throat> on whom Allah has bestowed his grace, and you have done him favor, keep your life to yourself and fear Allah. But you did hide in yourself <clears throat> that which Allah will make manifest. You did fear the people. Right? Whereas Allah had a better right that you should fear him. So when Zayd had accomplished his desire from her, we gave her to you in marriage so that in the future there may be no difficulty to the believers in respect of the marriage of the wives of their adopted sons when the latter have no desire to keep them, and Allah's command must be fulfilled. Now, you and I know the background. Let's break it down for, for the audience. Zayn was got married to Zainab bin Josh, Muhammad's cousin. According to the tradition, Zainab initially did not, did not want to marry Zayn. Muhammad insisted, because he's the messenger of Allah, she had to obey. So the Muhammad went to visit his son Zayn, his adopted son. And when he got to his home, he wasn't there, but Zainab was there, and she was in veil. And so as Muhammad walked away, the tradition said that Zainab heard Muhammad say, Praise be to Allah who turns to heart. So she realized that Muhammad desired her. In other words, Muhammad started lusting after his cousin, who was married to a son. Basically, lusted for his daughter-in-law. Zainab comes back, Zainab tells him the story, and when she tells him this was Muhammad's reaction, he goes to Muhammad and says, Look, I will divorce her so you can marry her. Now look at the love of this man for Muhammad. He's even willing to divorce his wife so that Muhammad could have her. And Muhammad still said, no, keep your wife. And so they still ended up divorcing her. And this verse came down saying, Muhammad, why did you tell him to keep your wife? Did you not know we're the ones who ordained that you're going to marry her? Why? Because Muhammad was ashamed. He's afraid of the people. He's afraid of people are saying, look at this man. Look at this man lusting for his daughter-in-law. Well, he ended up marrying her. Now, what's the point? Here's the point. Why did Muhammad marry her? Because supposedly the Quran is saying Muhammad is going to be an example for other adoptive fathers if they also want to marry the divorced wives of their adoptive sons. No problem, go ahead. Now, can you imagine how sick that is? A side note. Can you imagine you're my adopted son, you're married, you divorce, I marry your divorced wife, and now she becomes your, your mother, your stepmother. Exactly. Is that sick or what? Absolutely. And, and to add to this, like you mentioned, brother, um, it seems like uh, uh, Muhammad is acting in the Quran as if really he have this soft heart, but God predestined it already, that he has That's to do the it. Point. This is part of the Quran, right? Right. So if this is part of the Quran and it's eternal, that means in eternity, Allah had nothing better to do but to predetermine, predestine, that Zayd would be created and Zainab would be created and live around during the time of Muhammad, and predestined Muhammad would adopt Zayd as his son, and then have Zayd marry Zainab, only to divorce her so that Muhammad could marry her. 
All of this is predestined. Zayd had no choice. Zaynab had no choice. Muhammad had no choice. So according to the Quran, Allah predestined Muhammad to commit adultery in his heart and marry a divorced woman who was unlawfully divorced in the eyes of the two gods, thereby making her commit adultery. It's according to the words of the Lord Jesus. Matthew 5, 27, 28, for the reference. Matthew 5, 27, 28. And Matthew 5, 31, 32, according to the words of the Lord Jesus, if you lust for a woman in your heart, you have committed adultery. And if you marry a woman who's been unlawfully divorced, because the only grounds that Jesus gives there is sexual immorality. Neither her nor Zayed were sexually immoral, which means she was unlawfully divorced. In the eyes of the true God, she was still married to Zayed. So Muhammad made her commit adultery in the sight of the true God, all of which was predestined by Allah, because the Quran is eternal, and the Quran <clears throat> isn't affected by the actions of creatures. It makes creatures do what the Quran says they'll do. Right. See? Now it gets a little worse, but before I do that, I just want to know how we're doing on time. I don't want to run out of time. So We have approximately three minutes, give or take. Okay. Well, real quickly, then we'll pick it up in the second, the second program. It gets a little worse. Real quickly, let me finish this. Afterwards, the Quran then came and abolished the uh, adoption. Chapter 33, verses 4 and 5 of the Quran. Chapter 33, verse 40, it says, Do not call your adopted sons your sons. They are not your sons. Call them the sons of their fathers. And it says, Muhammad is not the father of any of you men. The reason why these verses supposedly were revealed is because Muhammad got fed up of people making fun of him, saying, look, you married your son's wife. Shame on you. And he says, well, no, technically he's not my son. I only adopted him. And from now on, there's no more adoption. So that means Allah already predestined, predetermined, that adoption would be abolished and use Muhammad to lust after his daughter-in-law, <clears throat> causing his son to divorce her, so that he would marry her, so that he would end up saying, no more adoption. All of this was predestined because it's part of the speech of Allah. Lord willing, we can pick it up in the second show. Amen. And, and these, of course, are very, very deep topics, as you mentioned, brother. In, in fact, uh, uh, you know, Sam wrote tons of papers on these things. So, brother, why don't you tell people how can they get a hold yeah. of your articles, websites, and also how can they support you? Yeah. If you guys are, uh, like to read, because I know we live in a time where people would rather watch videos, go to answeringislam.net or answering-islam.org. It's the same website, but two different URLs. And there's some great authors. I'm not the only one. There are others, blessed of God, who have articles. So you can go to individual authors, check out some of the other authors. But if you want to read my material specifically, on the website you'll see a link that says individual authors. Click on Sam Shimon. You'll find my articles there. Go to YouTube, put Sam Shimon, Jesus or Muhammad. I used to do a show with David Wood called Jesus or Muhammad for about five, six years. All those shows are archived. And I also do lectures on Taltas on a weekly basis. So if they want to know... When, when to come on Tal Talk and listen to me live, they have to contact me via email or on my Facebook page, Sam Shimon. And are these Pal Talk sh- uh, uh, lectures uh, recorded outside of Pal Talk? Can someone go somewhere? Yeah. We, well, we're trying to get that. I had a gentleman who was recording it, but right now uh, things came up. He won't be able to record it. So I'm trying to work, work, uh, work out a way where I can then record them via YouTube. So I'm working on that. Lord Amen. willing, I'll have it figured out by this week. Amen. So then all my talks will be archived for future, you know, for the benefit of others. Absolutely, right. because I'd like to announce it for people once you have it. Yep, I'll do that. I'll let you know, my brother. 
Very good. Well, uh, brothers and sisters, I hope you've been blessed, as I've always been blessed by, so, uh, by the way, some of you know this, but I'm going to repeat it. Uh, Sam, uh, the Lord used him in my life in a variety of ways. Of course, he's the one who taught me apologetics. He's the one who discipled me. He's the one who uh, worked with me on hard doctrines like the doctrine of the Word of God and doctrine of Trinity, so on and so forth. So, so may the Lord bless your life through his teachings as well. And we're so thankful to have someone of his caliber to join us all the time, despite how busy he is. And, uh, brother, um, there isn't uh, anything uh, that I can say uh, probably to repay back uh, uh, the, 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 the amazing ministry that the Lord has given you. So we're so thankful that you don't hoard it, but rather you share it with others. And for those of you who are uh, tuning in or you've been listening to this, this is the Let Us Reason. I'm your host, Al Fadi. And you can always go back to not just this show, but all of the previous episodes for the, from the last two and a half uh, uh, years now. Uh, into the website sirainternational.com or even on our social media platform at soundcloud.com forward slash let dash us dash reason. Until we meet again next week, may you have a blessed day. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.